You're listening to Irish Radio Canada's Home and Abroad. And a few weeks back, we had a chat with Katrina Castelo. She was talking about her movie, which will be in Toronto at Hot Docs. And uh, we're going to have another chat with Katrina. But before we do, I want to tell you, it will be screening in Toronto on Tuesday, the 1st of May at 5.30. And that is at the TIFF Bell Lightbox. And then on Thursday, May 3rd, also at the Bell Lightbox. And Sunday, May 6th, at 5.30pm, and that's at the Scotiabank Theatre. Um, there are a series of documentaries that are coming in from Ireland, and if you are in the Toronto area, I would strongly recommend that you consider trying to get tickets to some of them. Um, so, uh, Katrina, her documentary is called The Silver Branch, and it's based in and around the Burren, and it is the story of one man's fight to maintain a lifestyle against a lot of things, including the state. Um, Katrina, welcome back. Hi, Austin. How are you doing? So, since you and I chatted last, one of the things I want to cover quickly uh, is you were telling me that you were going to be screening in Ennis. And I'm really curious how that went, given that uh, in our last conversation, you mentioned that the story, the whole story that is covered here with Patrick was divisive in the community. So I'm really curious how the screening went in Ennis. Thanks, Austin. How are you doing? Um, the screening was a phenomenal success, actually, to be honest with you. There's, on many levels, okay, we had at least 540 people packed into Bloor, which was the biggest audience that Bloor has had since it's opened its doors, which is incredible. But I really think they came from right down from the mountain to watch it. And the best thing about it was every single one of those people that were there were emotionally moved. They all laughed, they cried, and they all felt deeply connected with this program. It was honest, it was from the heart, and it, it's, it just it told a story and it told it truthfully. It was beautiful. I don't think there was any animosity. There was no slagging off because, as, as you just said there, it was a divisive issue in the community. But, you know, it was told. But I think things have moved on, Austin, since, um, since that interpretive centre battle, even though there's, <laughs> there's still a bit of a range going on about where the car park is going to go in that area. But things have moved on. People have started to realise the importance of keeping a, a wilderness area as a wilderness area, at least in the Burren. People have really, really strong connections to that wild landscape, and they really have realised that it was important to fight for it and to keep it. So would you say as a result of the um, documentary and now with it being screened in the area that it has helped to heal some wounds and build bridges? I couldn't take credit for that, Austin. You know, the people who are involved have always wanted to heal and build bridges and move on. I hope it does. I really hope it does, you know. But, I mean, time is the best healer. But for sure it is. I think that when somebody looks at this film, every single shot in it has a, a beautiful dreamlike, almost lyrical, sensitive feel to it. And I think people really transport it, you know, they feel really transported into the burn landscape. And I think that will help people realize what we could have lost should that interpretive centre have been built. Now, you and I have the benefit of having had a previous conversation. So while we're talking about a documentary um, and knowing the, what it was about, can you give us the elevator summary of um, the concept and what it was about and what Patrick was trying to protect? Okay, Austin, that's a lot of questions. <laughs> so um, where will I start with that? You know, at a very, very basic level, this is a film about one man's relationship with the landscape. 
Okay, but I don't think that it's just purely Patrick's story. I think it's everybody's story because deep down we all have a connection to our home and we have a connection to landscape. So Patrick, I'll tell you, is a, a very unique character. One of the things that's unique about him is he lives in Father Ted's house. The, the things that aren't so unique is he's a father, he's five kids, and he's farming. Another unique thing, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of waffling here now, <laughs> but one of the things is that he's very, very uh, profound, he's poetic, and he's got an incredible insight into people and place, and he knows the significance and the importance that of people and place. He's got a great attachment and a great connection with everything in the burn, be they the old forts that are there 6,000 years old, to the famine villages, to the holy wells. There's nothing that Patrick doesn't know on a very deep level about the burn. So what we're going to see is we're going to see Patrick out in the winters. I don't know if people over there know what the winters are, but here in the burn, we put the cows and the cattle up into the mountains for the winter. Okay, because of the limestone there, it allows the water to go through the limestone so they don't get wet feet and everything. So he's up there in the winter, just rising walls in the winter. In spring, he's sowing a garden, playing with his children. And then he has this fantastic relationship with some of the old codgers around the town, and one of them in particular is John Joe Conway. Katrina, you mentioned John Joe Conway. Where and how, do you go, how does he fit into this story? Austin, I was up talking to Patrick about goats, actually, and we were up in the winterages. Um, where he was there rising walls, and he came across two little rowan heifers. There were two twins, actually, and he said to me, I bought those twins from a, a farmer called John Joe Conway, and he said, this one is called Knockaneedy Drowsy Maggie, and the other one is Knockaneedy Sporty Nell. So he, he had two calves. One of them was a bit drowsy, the other was a bit all over the place. And I thought, imagine coming up with names like that. I really have to meet this John Joe Conway man, you know. And when I met him... He has this coat, you know, this old coat, and the buttons are gone in it, and he's held it together with bale and twine and safety pins. And um, so we were going out to do a bit of filming and stuff like that, and he's he's looking for some rope to tie up his coat together. And he says, oh, I must get a new... And I was sure he was going to say, I must get a new uh, coat, but he said, I must get a new set of safety pins but, <laughs> to tie up his coat together. But uh, Patrick's, in relation, Patrick's relationship with John Joe is absolutely dynamite it's um the perfect antidote to the depths and you know to that really um lyrical and sensitive side of patrick it's just laughter the whole time and it's so contagious these two guys together is just a beautiful relationship patrick has total respect for for john joe and vice versa the um and and john joe's relationship with the cows is actually a, a third layer to that because the cows are just there beside him and they're they're licking his coat and he's having to laugh with them, chatting to them like they're <laughs> their best friends. Katrina, when it comes to the um, lifestyle, Patrick made a commitment, as I understand it, when he was a young man because he recognised that the relationship between man and land was very precious and it was being at, it was at risk. That's how the story actually starts. Um, Austin Patrick decided at 14 years of age to drop out of the system. I think he'd had a, enough of the demoralization of schooling in Ireland back then. So he drops out and he makes a commitment to be free and to be true to the land. So that's his only ambition in life, is to live in harmony with this landscape and to be respectful to the ancestor. Now, I know we covered it in the last chat, but we'll just do a summary again. Uh, Patrick then ran into challenges in his 
desire to do that um, at the level that brought him to the High Court. That's right. So uh, back in the 90s, there was, you know, it was basically the economic pot was empty. So like anybody who hadn't already left the country, they were trying to find jobs for them. The government had this big idea of putting interpretive centres in areas of great beauty. So this was something that was literally on Patrick's back garden. So you you open the door, you see Mullochmore, and in between there would have been an interpretive centre, which would have brought like I think 400,000 guests to the area every year. They would have trampled on the botany, and they would have it would have made it into a theme park, to be honest. So um, you know another thread of that story is Patrick finding his own inner warrior. So he had to literally take himself out of that landscape go up to the Supreme Court and fight this battle with a few other friends of his. There were seven of them, I think, in total. They had to mortgage their houses. They had to continue this for 13 years. And that whole time, this battle fell. You know, it, it was a cloud over their head. It was divisive. The neighbours were, oh, my God, they were slanderous. Like, you know, graffiti on the roads and councillors calling them names. It was a it was a horrific period. But as um as Patrick said, you know, to find his own inner warrior actually he went back to learning how to box when he was only a teenager. When he went to the national stadium he was um he was boxing he just says, you know, when you look through those ropes you're there on your own and he had to reach very deep to find his inner strength. So there's there's those type of philosophies that come through the program that um, I suppose are resonant with everybody. You know, how do you take on a battle when you feel like everything is stacked up against you and you're you're on your own? Now I didn't ask you this last time we chatted, but it has dawned on me that given the part of the country that this is set in and where Patrick is from, had has Patrick or did Patrick grow up? with music in the family, and is he a musician? Because in County Clare, practically everybody is. He's not, actually, no. He's, um, he grew up in a large family, if that's... <laughs> he's one of nine, I think, second down. But, uh, no, poetry would have been their thing, actually, poetry and storytelling. And he is an incredible storyteller, and everything that, I suppose, comes out of his mouth is very poetic, you know, I, I think... Listening to Patrick and watching the the cinematography, it's literally just like an escape. It just transports you into this other world, but not true music. More, more the the Shana Key. Uh, yeah, he is the Shana Key. Yeah. The Shana Key was revered in Irish society uh, many years ago, and it's great that even that tradition is being maintained. Um, so you can see that in in Patrick from not only in his delivery of the film, but there's also a, a very very beautiful part where he's talking to his daughter. Well, actually, it's a recreation scene, so it's meant to be his daughter, and uh, you know, telling an old fairy story. It's magical, actually. I suppose everybody in the audience were in stitches laughing at it. He's telling this story about his wife when he met her first. She was riding a fox across the fields, riding the fox's back, and. Um, and he plucked her off the fox, and <laughs> it's very funny. Of course, I can't tell it, but Dishanaki can. No, no, you can't. Dishanaki has a way that only Dishanaki can. Yeah, exactly. So, Katrina, you will be over, as I understand it, you're getting to come over to Toronto for um, some of the screenings. We are. I want to remind everybody again, it's Tuesday, May 1st, is the initial screening, and that's at 5.30 at the tel, uh, the Biff Tiff. Bell Lightbox, and it's in theatre number four. And then uh, Thursday, May 3rd at 1pm at the Lightbox also. And on Sunday, May 6th 
at 5.30 at Scotiabank Theatre. And uh, you can get information on that. And the website is boxoffice.hotdocs.ca. And that'll bring you in. You can get uh, buy your tickets there in advance. And there's a beautiful, if you go to that link as well, there's a YouTube's um, nearly a three-minute promo video, uh, the trailer for The Silver Branch. Um, Katrina, have we forgotten anything? No, not at all. But I would encourage people to to watch the trailer or the promo and to get a feel for the film. Yeah, as a documentary, it is 75 minutes, so it's a full-feature documentary. And uh, by all accounts, a fascinating story at multiple levels. And I'm looking forward to seeing it. Thank you, Austin. I hope I'll see you there. Hopefully you will. Katrina, I'm going to change gears slightly as well, because your husband, Ken, who is also very involved in this movie, um, as the producer, um, is about or has just uh, launched a TV series on deep waters around Ireland. Too true. In fact, I think earlier you said you were listening to Ray Darcy. He was on he was on the radio there um, about an hour ago here, and his program starts on Sunday at nine thirty on RTE. I don't know if you'll have the ability to get it on player, but um, it's really about his voyage out into the deep water on the continental shelf, outside of maybe sixty kilometres outside from the coast. And how many programs in the series? There's two one-hour programs. Okay. So the first one is this Sunday evening? The first one is this Sunday, 9.30. And the second, and second one then the, second the following? The second one the following. That's it, yeah. Now, I, can't, I don't know if we're geo-blocked, whether or not we'd be able to see that. And um, if not, go on to the RTE player and you will find it there. Katrina, thanks a million for taking the time. Awesome, it was a pleasure.